Right. What happens now? I think we do an intro. And with we, I mean you. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Future Friends Games podcast, a podcast for people interested in how indie video games are promoted. We are Thomas and Paul from the indie video game promoting company, Future Friends Games. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Thomas. (laughs) Hello, Paul. Thomas, I'm so excited today. What, why is happening? Because this podcast is featuring just the original El Dude Brothers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. There's no what guest. There's no guest. We've got to carry this whole thing, uh, this, this whole thing ourselves. But we do have a little bit of help from the Twitterverse. We asked on Twitter if anyone had any questions, because frankly, we were running out of topics that we could talk about for an hour or so. But there's still, there's so many little things and there's so many little caveats and interesting extra little topics that don't quite fill the whole thing, but are worth talking about in their own right. So people sent us a bunch of really good questions. Uh, we forgot to ask people permission if we could <laughs> if we could say who they were or anything. So we'll probably, we'll probably leave out names, but like, you know, for everyone who did ask us a question, thank you so much. It was, it was really great. You know, seeing that people cared <laughs> or people were interested. Um, and yeah, I guess let's get to it. Thomas, mm. what is what is question the first? Question number one is, what is most important for sales? Steam wish lists, stream or suppress reviews? You can only pick one. Oh my God, straight away. The caveats. Oof. <laughs> Our hands are tied. I mean, I, I think the answer here is obvious from from my perspective, but they do all feed into each other. What is the answer? <laughs> you know what the answer is. <laughs> I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously, like if the question is just what is most important for sales, then with no with no caveats whatsoever, the answer is probably platform support. Which, I mean, obviously, if you're selling a game on Steam, you're selling a PC uh, PC game through Steam, the Steam wish list is the number one thing that Steam looks at to decide how much support to give you. So bigger the wish list, the more support you get from the platform holder, uh, the more impact that that's going to have on sales. Although the caveat to that, because there has to be a caveat, is obviously... Everything kind of feeds into everything else. You know, coverage from content creators and coverage from press does lead to increased wishlist numbers. Um, And also, if you have good wishlist numbers, you will get picked up more by certain content creators who are savvy to that kind of thing. And it can help with press, although I I don't think as much. I think think they don't care Mm. as, as much about that kind of thing. But it is like... I think the it's it's kind of the catch twenty two of um, promoting an indie game in, in terms of like becoming popular is that you need to become popular before people will care enough to cover you, which is yeah, that's, that is a tricky thing. Like we talked about it a bit before the podcast. It's just like certain influencers, press outlets, even if we email them a hundred times, they don't reply, but then. 
if they see your game in the charts or in popular upcoming on Steam, then they pick it up, which is obviously smart, but also means, yeah, just yeah. to reach certain people, you just need to be big already to kind of get there. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's a case of it's momentum, isn't it? Really, like as soon like just getting getting over those first couple of hurdles can feel impossible but once you start gaining a little bit of traction and gaining a little bit of momentum like the the machine starts to kind of feed itself um as thomas mentioned those those steam place placements are based pretty much solely on wishlist um i think i think it's just wishlist isn't it like pre-launch i think so for the popular upcoming yeah exactly so if if you you know you hit that popular upcoming list and that's where content creators decide what they're gonna what they're gonna play then obviously again steam wishlist number is the most important thing but also content creators feedback into that but the the real answer to most important for sales i think has to be platform support and that's probably a better answer as well because that's platform agnostic like you know you might be just launching something on consoles you know there are things that you know, Microsoft or Sony or Nintendo can do for you to give you a little bit of boost through their channels. Um, depending on how much they like you, that can change quite a lot. Um, <clears throat> and also, like the there's a couple of little a couple of little tricks and things. Did we go through this? Maybe we need to do an episode on consoles, or maybe there isn't enough. An episode on platforms. That's a good point. For yeah. each platform. Talked a little about Steam. We could talk about more consoles. Yeah. Anyway, there's a little look behind the curtain into our I process. That's a good answer. I think that's a good answer. I think that was. <laughs> I think that we're pretty clear, though. It's like if you if you're releasing on Steam, it's the wish list is is the thing, um, and it should be something you're thinking about from day one. It should be the call to action. It should be your first call to action. Your call to action shouldn't be click here to watch my new trailer your call to action should be go to the steam page and wishlist my game um i think that's good advice i agree there was also a secondary a supplementary question from this (laughs) i think this this is the hardest question of all the questions we're gonna answer this is this is a tough one but uh the question is i'm gonna put you on the spot thomas i'm I'm getting in there before you have a chance to oh my god if you could pick one Spice Girl to promote future friends, who would you pick and why? That is so difficult. I'm I'm currently looking up Spice Girls. <laughs> it's tough I because think... the question is like, who's least embarrassing? <laughs> From None my perspective, <laughs> the Spice Girl. What are you talking about? Uh, I watched a film recently, maybe a year ago, and I was very confused. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I saw someone tweet recently that like they didn't realize the Spice Girls was a real band. Like they thought it was just <laughs> thought it was just the movie. That would like, make more sense though. <laughs> I immediately crumbled into dust. Uh it was a hell of a day. The thing is, okay, so Mel B is immediately vetoed because of that uh Margaret Thatcher girl power meme. She's just mm. ethered. She doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> Victoria Beckham has better things to do. She's first in line to be queen. So she's got, got a good reach though. If she would agree, I think she might be good. She's she's got a good reach, but I, I feel like she's she's become too much of a punchline in recent years, which is totally unfair because she's been incredibly successful in her own right, you know, and 
like she's got about how, how many kids have they got like 50 that's not yeah. you know that's not easy no matter how much money you got um I mean, unless you don't care about them and you just like <laughs> give them the <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> like in the old days. Um, who else is there? I feel like Baby Spice, the blonde one. She did some stuff with like with indie bands and things. Right? Like she tried to claw back some credibility. That might work. And there's uh, Mel C as well, who did a song with like Brian Adams or something. But I think she just had an album. There was an advert on a bus in London. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, well that's, that's a thing. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's Jerry, who's like become more and more embarrassing as time's gone on. <laughs> Who is left at this point? There, I think there was five. Which, whichever one we haven't mentioned, that's the one. Okay. <laughs> okay we spent too much time on this. We'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> very detailed answer. Um, I take I take this very seriously, Thomas. Uh, are we ready for another question? I think so. I think we can do those quick. That's like a couple of quick points in a row. Yes, there's a, a few little things. So someone's asking about secondary features in quotation marks. Which one of them can boost PR and sales for an indie or a better for bigger games, perhaps? Uh, they've listed a few examples, uh, localization, difficulty, accessibility, and platforms. Um, so I guess like which, which one of these is going to, is going to help boost sales a little bit localization, Thomas, I'm sure you have something to say on that. Uh, definitely. Yes. I think localization is a good one. I think we maybe have not talked about this here, but it's something we get asked a lot, like what languages make sense and does it make sense to localize? Obviously usually depends on the game and how much text you have. I think the one thing that people often underestimate or forget still is just that having a Chinese localization can be super helpful. Even if you just translate your store page and the game and you don't promote your game necessarily in China, that's often enough to drive enough sales that China would be a second most selling country on Steam. So usually it's the US is first and then if you localize often China is the second region where you sell the most games. So that's obviously quite huge. and there's then a list of other languages, depending on your game type, that we often recommend to translate into. Often it would be German, French. It would be Portuguese, sometimes Russian, Japanese. And then I think after that, maybe like Italian and Spanish. Um, and I th- one, one thing I think that's qu- quite good to note, especially if you release on mobile and on Steam that I think having day one localizations is quite valuable. They do help you to get more sales on day one when you get a lot of visibility from the platform and that you also chart locally. Um, Whereas if you add them in later, it's quite hard often to get that visibility back. So if you think about like adding languages in your first update after launch, if you can somehow make them work at launch, I think it's, it's a good thing. Could really help you out. Yeah, I think that's why people are a little bit confused with whether localization is is good or not because i think it's when people localize after the fact they don't realize that 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 no one notices almost it's almost like a misunderstanding of how steam works um and it's hard because obviously it's such a big upfront investment for for an indie game and you think oh we can just do that later with the sales but then you're not getting as much back for your money as as if you did it day one. 
as, yeah, as Thomas said, because of because of the way visibility works on Steam, it's it's really can't be. And it feeds, it goes back to the first question about you know platform support. Definitely, and like even I think Steam inside, I think most almost all platforms give you most visibility when you launch. Mm-hmm. So anything after the fact is quite difficult. And something that I maybe encounter often. As a German speaker, we often also get asked if we can just do specifically German PR for games. Um, if you have a localization and you add it in afterwards, it's also not something that's particularly interesting for streamers or press. So like launching your game in English and then going to German press two months after and say we have localization now. Like unless your game is super popular, it's not newsworthy or like it's not considered a big deal. Like so either you have it straight away or it's quite difficult to get traction. Yeah, and I think it's it, it almost feels counterintuitive, but it, it's just an unfortunate byproduct of the way the way platforms work, especially Steam, and the way that the kind of SEO-driven media works is that even though that is actually good, you know, that is interesting news for a lot of people. It's not like <laughs> it's you're out of the cycle, you know. Yeah, um, and like, I'm sure like for your com- but- like for your community, it's good news. Like if you yeah. tweet about it, make blog posts, like it's really good update. It's just press and influencer facing maybe less. So yeah, it's hard to reach new people. And I think like, you know, it, it really, I don't, I don't want to lose the the first point as well, which it's hard to overstate like how good that Chinese localization is on Steam at the moment. And really it like depending on the word count of your game it's a very safe investment it's probably as an indie dev it's one of the, the kind of safest investments as far as return you can possibly make in my opinion like even if you include like advertising you know like paid partnerships with content creators you know i mean even even like making a trailer like making a trailer is something you have to do and it's it's a big investment but in terms of like direct return on investment i don't know yeah, it's definitely yeah. it's it's a big one if you miss it out. One thing that we get asked more often is um, if people launch a game, they get offered from fans if they can do fan localizations, like just having a spreadsheet with kind of people, different fans localize the game in different languages. Like I think which can be fine, but I would generally say if you do that, you still need someone to look over that localization and approve it. I would think it's better to have no localization than a quite bad one um so like if let's say chinese is your second strongest market on steam and you have a really bad chinese localization that can get you a lot of negative reviews and they are quite hard to get away on steam so i think just having a bad localization is a bit of a risk so it would definitely make sure that it's good that is an excellent point it's probably it's probably quite a big topic. It is something that we do get asked a lot, and I feel like the answer is fairly simple. But I, I think it's just so hard because it's something that you can't, you just can't check. You know, you yeah. can't. You, it's really hard to check if if your localization is good. Like the story I always use is, um, I worked on a game that had gear that you equipped. That you know your character's equipment was referred to as gear. The localization. You know, they translated it as gear, as in like gears in a car or in or in some kind of vehicle. That, that's always that's always the um, the example I go back to. But I mean, obviously, that's that's not acceptable. But also, if you're if if someone if someone just 
you know, I don't blame the the people at the localization place for that because it's an easy mistake to make. But also, if you can't check it, it's like that's the kind of yeah. I guess I guess that's the point. Like if your localization is just like doesn't maybe not read as nice as the language it's been written in, like that's fair enough, I think. But it's it's not perfect. But I think it gets an issue when you can't understand things, so it's quite obvious this is mistranslated. Yeah, then it's... it gets a bit offensive. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> try a bit harder if you want to look low. Yeah, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because it's it's almost like it's almost like the more sort of flowery the language you uses in in your sort of core in your in your core text, the more difficult it's going to be to localize. And if if a big part of the point of your game, yeah, is is around that, then it's obviously more difficult. If you have like a much more minimalist. Um, very like systems heavy kind of game where everything's quite obvious what it means. It's probably a lot safer. Um, oh, yeah. But you know, if That's you're if you're writing a love story, <laughs> and then then it gets a bit more tricky. Like we say, like it's a no brainer localize. It's really good for like action games, yes. But like if you make Disco Elysium or something that's really story heavy, I guess mm. every localization is a really big ask. So that that makes it quite different. Yeah, and I think Disco Disco Elysium is such a great example as well because. Like the style of writing is so important. Like, pe- like characters speak in in different ways, and like in ways that denote um, all sorts of things about them. And you know, some sometimes characters are like, you know, very drunk and making no sense. There's like, there's very, you know, there's very kind of poetic language a lot of the time in the text, where it's it's all it's just all like metaphor and and that kind of stuff. By the way, Disco Elysium's ten out of ten game. You should definitely, you should definitely play it, Thomas. Oh, I will one yeah, day. One day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we move on to difficulty and accessibility. Yeah, I mean, these are listed as two different things, but I think they kind of they do touch each other a little bit. Um, obviously, difficulty. We're not game designers. We are aware that tuning difficulty is extremely difficult for want of a better word. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no comment. Yeah, especially if you're if you're trying to reach uh the broadest player base possible, if you're if you're even having those like easy, medium, hard things. But and, and it and it's also made it's also made more difficult uh by the fact that there is a big market on Steam specifically for people who want games that are harder because they've played so many of the same type of games that if a game feels too easy in the beginning, that they'll be immediately bored and they'll hate it. Um, so it's it's a tough one. But I, I think that, like, there's not a huge amount you can do with with difficulty in terms of PR. I think especially now that we're kind of past, it feels anyway like we're moving past the glut of these kind of Souls-like games that misunderstand Dark Souls. (laughs) Um, Now that we're kind of past that, like it's almost, it almost feels like a cheap selling point now. It's like, oh, this is like so difficult. And you're going to, I mean, you can make it fun, like something like Spelunky 2 where it's unforgiving, but that's part of the fun. Obviously there's games like that, but then that's not really a huge selling point like PR wise. Yeah. I think for me, the big takeaway would be like, difficulty you don't need to make your game super easy so everyone can play it you don't make need to make it super hard i think you just need to decide but then tell people 
like if your store page doesn't make clear if this is either by spelling it out or by the vibe of the page that it, this is a difficult or an easy game, this might be the biggest issue. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of splitting hairs to say it, but it's like more of a branding thing than a PR thing. It's like you just need to be, if you're making a game that's hard, just say it's hard, you know, that, and that's that's it <laughs> you know yeah that's and, it. um and if you're if you're making a game that's very easy and, and kind of casual i feel like that's more of a often more of a genre thing but there's not there's not many people making kind of action games that are intentionally that are intentionally very easy and the, and the ones that are tend not to do amazingly well yeah definitely a genre thing i guess if you make a walking sim people kind of assume this is not going to be super difficult if you make a roguelike platformer people probably think this is quite hard yeah i mean the as far as accessibility goes it's like pr and branding and everything aside like just make sure you can rebind everything make sure you can read every button input you can rebind to something else and for god's sake make sure you can change the size of the subtitles and also allow the player to access the options menu before the start of the game. All these things like developers should just be doing. I know it's work. I know it's easy for me to sit here and say, do it, but like, do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would probably say like, in terms of those accessibility options, obviously like they're really good. And if they're in there, highly appreciated. And I wish a lot of people would do them or do them more in also, but like that being said, like in terms of actual sales impact, it's probably less a thing. Like it's not like the Chinese localization where if you make a game super accessible, you're going to sell 20% more. Hmm. It's going to be a way smaller player base, but obviously they're going to be quite happy to play a game. The thing is that if we, th- if we think about it in terms of like influencer and micro micro-influencer culture, I feel like having good accessibility options does actually improve your visibility in certain communities. Like, for example, there's a Twitter account that I follow called Can I Play That, which is very mm-hmm. specifically calls out certain games that have like, that kind of go the extra mile with accessibility stuff with certain things in mind. Oh, um, colorblind modes, that's another one. Oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of, yeah. Um, you know, there's obviously Celeste is held up as, as a good example. Hades that came out recently has an option called God Mode, which um, basically every time you die, it like increases the amount of uh, damage reduction you have. That was a really complicated way of saying that, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you understand. It's like basically like it, it just means because it's roguelike every run that you do you take less damage from enemies um, and it's kind of it's nice because it doesn't it doesn't immediately completely change the whole nature of the game but it just smooths out those more difficult parts later on and I and as well like these days I usually call it dad mode now whenever whenever I start like you know one of these bloated triple a games that's meant to suck your entire life away like i immediately put it on just the lowest difficulty possible because you know games like that i don't play for challenge anyway if i want to challenge i'll play dota 2 or or dark souls or or something you know i won't i'm I'm not gonna play yeah you know the new horizon game or whatever because i really want to challenge it's like that's not what they are they're just you know (laughs) they're just fun kind of sandboxes and and that's about it I feel like I'm getting sidetracked. I think that's good. Good reply. Should we go to platforms? Platforms. <laughs> maybe sp- oh spicy god. one, maybe. Yeah, spicy one. Oh <laughs> god. Just someone asking if like ports to Mac and Linux and other storefronts 
what that does to you in terms of like PR and sales? PR, nothing. Sales, negligible. Like it's 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 extremely unlikely that you're going to make back in terms of return on investment. It's extremely unlikely that you're going to make back the money and time that you put into doing the port in the first place. Yeah, I think like I would probably see it as depends hugely on the size of your game. Like there's Mac and Linux players and like websites that cover that, but the numbers are quite low compared to PC and Steam for like other storefronts. I think quite so, low. Quite low is really yeah, <laughs> is like really quite low, it's like it. very very low. So it's like if if you make a calculation, and I'm like I'm just making up those numbers. You should probably look them up. But if you say my Mac version is gonna sell two percent of my whole sales and my Linux zero point five. If that makes sense to you, because your game is that big, cool, make a port. For most smaller indie games, that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Yep. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying don't do it for <laughs> for any like, <laughs> Mac or Linux users that are listening. Don't come after me. I'm not telling people not to do it. I'm just saying, like, don't expect don't expect a return on investment. It's you know yep. if you want if you want to make an extra two percent sales, just put your game up on GOG. As well as Steam, yeah. like, and that'll be and, it. and I think maybe to note, like, if somebody has a bigger community or runs a Kickstarter, there's usually a bigger proportion of quite vocal people about Linux versions. But then, in terms of actual sales, it's just not that high. Yeah, that's that's the problem with Kickstarters as well. It's like when you have such a small group of people talking to you, and one of them is like super like hype about like, is there a Linux version? Is there a Linux? Is there a Linux? Like, it can feel like there's a there's a high demand for it, but you really need to think about, don't think about it in terms of like proportion of people speaking to you. Think about it in terms of like proportion of total backers or total potential players and everything. And again, I'm not saying don't do it. I would never say don't do it. That's not, I want Mac and Linux users to have loads to play as well, but it's just an unfortunate reality of indie dev at the moment is doing it is, is not, it's just not going to do anything for you, unless, as Thomas said, like you know, if you if your game does absolutely gangbusters, like if you get a hundred thousand wishlists on day one, like okay, sure, but your game isn't going to get a hundred thousand wishlists on day one. So, you know. <laughs> excuse me, you don't know that. That's true. I'm probably I'm working on a game. Yeah, I'm I'm going to get an email. I know from yeah from me <laughs> please don't email me thomas <laughs> i know you wouldn't open it Come on, try. okay i mean that was that was the list like oh god i'm gonna put us on the spot now and see if i can think of any other like secondary things i mean i think that's i think that's a decent list really localization is very important difficulty is just so hard to measure it's so genre specific accessibility in my opinion, is something you should be conscious of anyway, but does also, in my opinion, like it can, it won't, it won't help you in like the sort of mainstream circles, but it can help you um, access an audience that you wouldn't otherwise, if we want to be mercenary about it. But again, mm. should just be something you're looking at anyway. Um, and platforms. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. 
Um, I'm not going to. I'm not going to ask you if you want to do it. Do it, but I, I refuse to ask you the question. <laughs> oh, well, let's see how we go with time. I did ask. Just I did add my own question to the list that no one asked, and I just want to answer. <laughs> but in the sake of time, I'm going to skip this for now. I might just answer it in the end. Oh my god, the the tease. People are going to have to. <laughs> people are going to have to listen to the end if they want to get it. We probably will have time. I, I feel like we're. I feel like we're getting through these pretty pretty quickly. But we so. are we are in the lightning round, which we will definitely get sidetracked at some point doing. Hundred percent. Okay. Lightning round. These are short questions that are meant to have short answers, but we'll see. So lightning round. Not not playing by the rules. Your favorite tools is the first question. Favorite tools. I mean, favorite. <laughs> Favorite is a stretch. Like after using yeah. things for long enough, they kind of <laughs> they kind of just become part of your day. Um, for press, I'd say like similar web is handy just for like if you're not sure if a site has much reach. Um, yeah, so for example, like when website. when you get like I think when you get like interview requests, it's quite handy just to have a look and see if they actually have any kind of audience. Um, That's it. It's just like a website or a Google Chrome plugin that tells you like the estimated traffic per website. Yeah, the Chrome plugin's really handy. Yeah, like we use it a lot just to check how big sites are. Or like I don't know, you release a Nintendo Switch game and you have a limited number of codes. It can help you just figure out how big those sites are and prioritize them. Yeah, that's handy. I really like just just me personally, like I quite like using VidIQ for YouTube. Just because it's really handy, like just to have a reminder for like, or or benchmarks for like how many tags you should have, you know, like uh, repeating keywords, uh, making sure you're sharing it on various platforms, all this kind of stuff. Like YouTube, YouTube's very weird at the moment. Like it's hard to it's hard to really kind of break out of. I mean, it's sometimes it feels difficult to even break into your subscriber list the way things the way things are on YouTube now. But it's a it's a handy little thing, like just to make sure you've ticked all the boxes, and it doesn't take very long, really. Like just to just to add a bunch of words. That is and, a good um, one. Also, I think like we'll we'll obviously be linking all of these things in the description around. I assume there's a description on podcasts. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we have people that deal with that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> I think the other one is just like SteamDB.info. I mean, it's a website. Don't know if it counts as a tool, but it's just good because it shows you how many people are playing Steam games. You can look up each Steam game at the moment. You can look up follower accounts and estimate wish lists. So just to see what's trendy and what's coming up, that's quite a good tool. I like and use a lot. Yeah, and I think like the the owner numbers. Are interesting as well because even though the ranges are quite broad it gives you a, a good ballpark along with like concurrent users on different days as well which i think is handy because it really shows you the shape that you can expect of like when people will be coming into your game and you know if you look at a game that's been out not too long don't go back to like 2015 please but like a couple of years if you just look at the shape of the graph and you say oh there's a spike here then you can go on google and you know and look at those and look at those ranges and usually you'll find that there was like a sale or they were part of a humble bundle or they were doing some like some really uh big promotion where they were like giving the game away for free for two days or something that's you know things like that are becoming more common now 
Um, but yeah, there's yeah. so there's so many ways to use that site. It's just it's super handy. And again, that's us talking a lot about Steam, but it's just there's nothing comparable on console. Yeah. So that's the most data you can like publicly get from a platform, I think. Yeah, yeah. But um, looking at looking at similar games, like looking at the game where you think like, oh, I want to be, I want to be like that game, as long as it's like a reasonable goal for for the size of your operation. Look at games with similar sized teams in similar genres. You know, look at the estimated sales number. Look at um, what they charge for the game look at um the type of the type of discounts they did and how often they did those discounts um you know there's so much there's so much to learn in those things and you know if you don't if you don't have time to do the research yourself there's like a million newsletters that you can sign up to that uh that have a lot of that information as well gathered from you know direct from a lot of from a lot of indie developers definitely i think that's it for favorite tools uh there's the subreddit one which is kind of handy oh, this is good yeah it's good for finding stuff but then um you, because basically there's this reddit tool what you do is you just put in the name of a subreddit and it spits out a few like similar ones um but there's no real um there's no real substitute for just like being active on reddit which is an awful thing to do but <laughs> I, don't advise, <laughs> I don't advise anyone do that but um just going going on a subreddit knowing what their submission rules are um you know a lot of them they have like no self-promotion apart from this particular day or with this caveat um r slash indie gaming is just the best one by a mile because uh, they're they're really open the people who go on it are very supportive. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of indie devs on there, and indie devs buy indie games. Um, and also, things get things do get picked up from there and and cross posted and share around because people like getting internet points. That is true. If there's one thing we know as video game professionals is that people like small <laughs> number get big. That's that is. I love it. <laughs> That's top of the list. <laughs> what do we not love? The next question is your least favorite channels. Least favorite channels. I mean, Facebook. Yeah, Facebook is very difficult. I think Tumblr is also very difficult. Yeah. To manage. I think, yeah, Facebook is more the problem. It's really hard to just reach people that even liked your page with if you don't promote your your posts, a lot of it just gets lost and it's quite hard for people to share stuff wide enough so you reach new people. I think, I mean, we shouldn't gloss over the fact that also Facebook were lying for, about their reach for a number of years, especially yeah, on definitely. video especially on video content. So really, I mean, it's it's not possible to know even. <laughs> like, yeah. even if you pay, even if you pay for adverts on Facebook, like, you know, do they have to tell the truth now? <laughs> Did something change? I don't know. Um, yeah, so that's that's hard, for, especially for organic reach. I think it's different for paid advertisement. Um, and Tumblr, I think it's just something that's quite hard to get going. There's definitely games that do well on Tumblr, but I think it's quite a specific thing that takes a lot of time commitment. So it wouldn't be like my first choice on social media channels. So I was I was tempted to say Instagram for similar reasons because Instagram Instagram is mm. hard. Like yeah, Instagram is hard. It's hard to get anything going on Instagram, but at the same time, I feel like it could be good. It should be good, 
but it isn't. Yeah. And I feel <laughs> the bigger difference for me is I think Instagram is really hard to build, but once you have it, you usually have quite good reach to your followers. Yeah. So you probably need to put a lot of time and money in to make it big. But once you have it, it's a good tool. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I mean, it's it's something that like I think newer social platforms learned from the mistake of Twitter, which was Twitter basically created a platform where any idiot could put something up and it could do huge numbers without them having to pay for the huge numbers. And then Instagram came along and we're like, and we're like, no, no, we can't have that. <laughs> if you want to reach a lot of people, you're gonna have to pay for it. Um, and obviously, you know, like some some people break through regardless because there has to be there has to be that carrot for users to chase. But by and large, if you're not if you're not paying for visibility on those newer platforms, it's it's very difficult to get traction. Yes. What is the Steam visibility round, and what exactly does it do for you? This is actually quite a big question. We shouldn't have put this, this in the lightning round. That is a very big question. <laughs> Visibility rounds can be super important. It loops back into what we said about coming in after the fact with updates, such as localization updates. Um, Thomas, I think you'll do a better job of explaining this than me. Basically, whenever you have a Steam game, Steam gives you five visibility rounds mm -hmm. and you can trigger them technically whenever there's some caveats, like they can't be too close together and stuff, but you have five of them and you can more or less trigger them when you want. And when you trigger them, you get a certain amount of views that Steam guarantees you. Um, you need to link them with an update to your game. So you're going to have something new to show. Otherwise, you can't trigger it. Um, but obviously, that means that is a really good a really good driver post-launch to drive more sales and more people to your site. Often people would combine a visibility round with a new update, a sale, update their page a little bit, and that can really make a big boost in your sales. So we really like recommend using them a lot and like planning updates around them. It really can, in the long run, help you a lot getting extra traction of your Steam game. Yeah, I think that's the important point is like, really plan for them plan around them because as as we said as we said at the top it's it's platform support isn't it it's steam's way of of supporting your game post launch which you know usually if you go on steam b you'll see you'll see how the graphs look you get this big spike at the start while steam are directing traffic towards you in the first couple of days and then it tails off until you start you know until you start getting into sale territory but then you know, when when you hit that visibility button, then you know you can. That's I think that's when you start really tapping into people who maybe wishlisted your game several months before it came out. Launch day came around, they kind of missed it, or they looked at it and they were like, "Oh, I'll wait for a sale." Um, and I, I was I was going to say like more like impulse purchase things, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's exactly what happens in most cases. I think it's more that you know there's there's the old marketing thing. It's like people need to see your product a certain number of times before they make a purchasing decision. And this is just another way of putting it in front of people. So maybe all it takes for a certain person is just to literally see your game again. And they go, oh, it's this game, and I'm seeing it on Steam, so it must be important. 
it must like it must be popular yeah. or else why would steam be showing it to me it must be good or else why would it be why would it be popping up like this after launch and um you know that's just how that's how people's brains work isn't it yeah i like you it's i guess it's just a nice tool because you click a button and you know you're going to get the traffic yeah that doesn't happen in selling games a lot yeah and but as as thomas said plan around it and that includes like don't just press the button and walk away like this this is this is a time where yeah like obviously number one is platform support they're going to point a lot of eyes towards it but also it's it's an update it's a great time to like to talk to your community about it talk to established players encourage people to leave uh to leave positive reviews if they liked it because that's that's such a huge part and then along with an update as well a lot of the time um you know people rediscover a game or maybe you fixed an issue that they had a problem with and you can you can even go to people who left negative reviews before and say hey we fixed this issue you know you can encourage people to tell their friends about it like there's there's so many there's so many like additional smaller levers you can pull as well as that big visibility round one um, yeah, that's it. We, Trying to make a thing out of it makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah, I mean, we 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 always say like try like don't put all your eggs in one basket and expect to make a huge splash because you'll often be disappointed, even if you're successful. We talked about that in the going viral uh, episode as well. But if you're doing those things every day, like Dan Marshall is a great example of this. Like mm. he's always on Twitter and he's encouraging people to to do the things. Like he's, it's constant like call to action. It's saying, hey, did you like my game? Please leave a review. It's saying like, oh, hey, my game's on sale. Please go and buy it. Like he's not, he's not being cool about it. He's not being coy. Like he's, you know, he's out there, he's, he's hustling and, and trying to make a success out of the thing with his launch. And that's really the mindset that you have to have. Yeah, and I think it's everything, Steam. It just builds up over time. Like you're gonna probably have better conversion rates or more people interested if your game has five hundred reviews versus fifty reviews. That just looks more promising. That looks like there's a player base, some other people bought this already. So like yeah, the more you build your numbers up, the bigger it goes. Yeah, yeah. And especially in the in the first year after launch as well, it's huge. And if you do, I mean, you know, fingers crossed if you're able to go on to another project to make another game, none of that effort is wasted because those are all people who will hopefully play and enjoy the game that you already came out with. And then a couple of years after the fact when, you know, when your next one is coming around, those are all people who you now have direct access through you have direct access to through steam where you already know they are and you already know that they are the type of person that buys indie games so they're the perfect and that and they enjoyed an indie game that you already made so they're the perfect people um to talk to about your new project and this is how you know this is how it takes 10 years to become an overnight success you know and visibility rounds are a, a huge important tool of being able to do that Ideal amount of time between announcement and launch is the next question. Man. And that is probably not an easy one to answer because it's always that depends on your game a lot. But that one really depends on your game a lot. And again, on your platform support as well. Mm. I mean, I, th- I think a couple of, 
a couple of years ago, the kind of conventional wisdom was always announce as early as you possibly can, because that's how that's when you start building towards. That's when you start building community. That's how you start building your wish list. All of this stuff. But I think, I think things have started to change a little bit in that respect. I think there's so many people who are posting on game dev subreddits on indie dev subreddits and screenshot saturday where they make something that looks beautiful it looks amazing but it's not in any way a game at all Mm. like there's no game there whatsoever but it looks so incredible people get excited by it and that's kind of a problem (laughs) if you're actually like if you're in a situation where you can't just you can't just build a castle in the sky and walk away like you have to build the foundation first it means that if you're putting out stuff that can't compare to this amazing looking stuff that is just, that is just nothing it's just smoke and mirrors but if you if you can't be compared to that then it's it's just not going to be interesting to people it's not going to feel shareable to people and that's awful you know it's the same thing that happened with kickstarter as well you know um, a lot of Kickstarter demos now, like they're, they're nothing really. Like the the engine is, not, is they just have like a kind of bog standard like move set, and you but it has volumetric lighting, and people go crazy. People go crazy because the grass moves, yeah. but there's no actual game there at all. Um, but if you're in the unfortunate situation where you have to actually be making a game, um, I really think that like as a developer, if you have, it's more like a vertical slice mentality. Like when, when you kind of go out for the first time, like if you can't come out of the gate with something that at least looks polished to someone who doesn't know what they're looking at, you might potentially be doing yourself a disservice. And it's, it's horrible because it means that like your whole development timeline is kind of messed up by having to think about these things as well. But it's like, would you rather have a slightly messed up backwards development timeline and a better chance of selling games at the end of it? Or would you rather have a really smooth, easy development timeline where your game only really starts looking good a couple of months before launch, and by then you've got no time at all to start building to start building your wish list? So Steam doesn't care about you, you're not on popular upcoming, you know, you can't you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, yeah, I think it, it's definitely agreed with that. But I think also it depends so much like on the platforms you're launching on and what your game is. Mm. Like if you have a Switch exclusive game, your goal is just going to be get Nintendo featuring. And if they just want to announce your game and launching on the same day, but they, they support you, then that's perfect. If if you don't have that, then you probably want to build an audience over time a little bit more. And you want to have a couple of months. If you just launch on Steam, you want to build up wish lists, and if you only announce a game one month before launch, you, you're just not going to have enough, very likely. So a bit longer is better there. So it's, I think it's a really, really depends on the project question. Yeah, absolutely depends. I mean, I think like for for the type of people who are listening to this podcast, you probably you probably fall more into the category of having to build an audience organically. 
rather yeah. than and some some people get lucky you know some sometimes you can like pitch a platform and you're just exactly what they're looking for at that current moment and that's brilliant and you know in the majority of cases you should probably go for that because again platform support um but yeah i think i think most people are gonna find themselves just in the grind and you know that's that's what it's all about just get out there go go where your audience is run yep. and be free and then I guess, like as Paul said, as soon as it's like nicely showable, then then having extra time is probably quite nice. So you can post more often and have the grind going on for longer. Yeah, and also and also, don't be worried about like if you're worried about running out of things to show people. To me, that's like it. It shows like a slightly incorrect understanding of your situation, because the fact is that like if you put something out and it does like, let's say it does like really good numbers for an indie on, on Twitter. Like if you get like 800 likes or whatever, mm -hmm. there are millions of people <laughs> who, play, <laughs> who play video games. And the thing is like, if you, if you put basically the same thing out twice, maybe recontextualize it, leave a decent amount of time in between the two. It's very likely that the, the people who are seeing this thing that to you is something you're repeating to them, they've never heard of your game. They've, they've never seen it. Yeah. They've never heard of it. Though there's going to be more of those people seeing it than people who saw a similar thing a few months ago. Also, if if you're really worried about it, go to a different platform and post it there. Like, don't yeah. if if it did well on if it did well on Twitter, go and put it somewhere else. Like, don't think about it. Don't worry about it too much. Like, set up an account. Just post it. You know, maybe maybe it doesn't do great, but if you it's about the grind isn't it it's about building up over time it's about going and it's about going to your audience where they are so any any kind of platform that has any kind of um has any kind of video game coverage a lot of the times smaller platforms can be better for for small devs because there's just less noise to cut through there's less competition um for visibility and stuff and like people care more about what they're looking at as well so These are all things to to keep in mind. That was a little bit of a a little bit of a sidetrack, but it's just it's just something I want to I want to talk about. Like I feel I feel a lot of the times like, and I've been guilty of this in the past as well. It's like people people get very funny about promoting themselves. You know, people don't people don't like putting something out that they've done and gone. Oh, do you like this? Because obviously, you know chance of rejection is horrible chance of just being ignored is you know just as bad in a lot of ways um and also you know having having this thing be judged by awful strangers on the internet like isn't very nice and also like people think that there's going to be this perception that just because they're trying to put themselves forward people will people will be like ah oh, look at look look at this person trying to make a living <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's it. Like, there's no shame in making a video game and trying to sell it because that's kind of how it works. Yeah, and the, <laughs> if the, you make commercial games, like that's yeah. okay. That's where people follow you. They yeah. want to play this. They want to get it. I mean, that's the caveat as well. This is like if you want to sell as many copies of your game as possible, maybe that's not what you're going for, and that's absolutely fine. And I wish there was more opportunity for people to do that. That'd be great. I would love that. But oh, yeah, we're, we're talking thing. about we're talking about how to actually sell games. And all of these, 
all these developers that you see every day being like being retweeted all the time you know you get annoyed with them because they have a take that you disagree with but there's nothing you can do about it definitely don't reply to them it's not worth it but like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good tip in general yeah, there's, in <laughs> there's a good one for the lightning round just walk away like you don't have to you don't have to reply um but those those people you know about them because they're good at doing this exact thing and that's the point isn't it it's like something i say a lot about bigger influencer channels as well like the the reason influence, influencer channels are big is not because they're good at selling games it's because they're good at selling themselves and those are the people that you want to talk to so that's that's the mindset you know that's the mindset you got to be if you want to be in a position where you are you know, you are in a position to do well and to sell a lot of copies of your game. That's the kind of mindset that you have to have. Like, it's just as much about, it's just as much about like selling the thing you have as it is making the thing you have. I mean, it's been a long time since I've heard someone say, just make a good game. So maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just. <laughs> <That's nothing. laughs> I think it's it's slowly but surely disappearing. I think but so, like, yeah. I think it was when I think it was when people who had successful games in 2013 to 2015 when they released their next game they yeah. got a lot quieter about it you know what I mean that tends to be the timeline but another thing about selling games that's a good a good bridge to another topic obviously we talked about like first party support how good that can be wish lists but what maybe doesn't come up that often is government funding yeah which is hugely important for like a lot of teams we work with. Really, I guess, like really, really, really depends on where you're based if government funding is available. But it can really make a, a huge difference. And it's definitely, I think, step one, if you start making a game to have a good look, if in your country, if there's an opportunity to get government funding. Um, we work a lot of teams in Austria and Denmark um that get good government funding and i think in the beginning one one of the first things to usually say oh it's a lot of paperwork like that's like not the funnest thing to do if you just want to start making a video game and i think that's right but like if you depend on money on finances it's so worthwhile looking into it even if it means you make a big old document for a month if that funds a good part of your development it's a really maybe wise thing to look into if you can get it somehow and i think it's something that's not usually publicly mentioned too much on on like postmortems or twitter or kickstarter campaigns sometimes a little bit but especially if you're based i think in canada they have good funding in victoria and australia they have really good funding a lot of european countries there's a lot of nice indie games you see around that partly were government finance yeah, I think it's um, it's a great tool for so many developers the, that it's available too. I wish it was available in more places because the thing that it offers is just like s security and sustainability. Um, and I think, again, most people listening to this, I think if you're making your first game or, or your second game, the goal should be how can I carry on doing this after I release this game. The mentality shouldn't be, how can I sell a million copies of this game? The mentality should be, how can I make sure I'm secure enough and sustainable enough to the point where I can carry on after this? Because 
you know, some people, some people put out one game and it changes their life forever. But, um, it, like if, if you, obviously we can't work out the exact odds, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't bet your career on it if we could, you know, like yeah, the amount of game developers out there, the amount of indie games that are launched, um, you wouldn't. You wouldn't bet you you wouldn't bet your career on it if if you could see that number. So um, I think it's better to stick around and and have have a few swings, build up over time. You know, start get into a position where the machine starts working in your benefit, um, rather than being an obstacle that you have to overcome. And then you know the the people who are in that situation will tell you, you know, will tell you how great the machine is. So believe them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's the answer to the question, how much time should be between announcement and launch. (laughs) (laughs) And also government funding. (laughs) And also government funding, which is is really great and is something absolutely worth doing or worth looking into if it's available to you. I think the next question is very tricky. Yeah, what, one what, unexpected... what were we thinking? Lightning round, ridiculous. I don't know. Like, <laughs> the next one, I'm surprised you put it on the list because I don't have an answer to this. Give me one unexpected thing you would do to promote your game at launch. I mean, <laughs> ideas. I would simply think of something that was cheap and easy to do and didn't take much time out of development that also no one else had ever thought of doing before. And I would that's just, I would just, I would simply do that. <laughs> that that's Paul's part of the job. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's my department. <laughs> oh my God. It's hard, man. Yeah, like, it's hard. And the thing and is, think- as, as we talked about in, in our episode about going viral as well, even if you do it, and even if it goes well, it it might not matter as much as you think it would. Yeah, that's I, that was about to say. Like I f- often, you it's not the big thing. It's maybe the fancy thing that you want to show off. Or it's funny on Twitter, but I think often just getting the basics right is really hard. And there's so much to do. That would be an unexpected thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get the basics. But it's just like having a good store page, doing outreach, talking to all the platform holders in advance, getting everything approved in time. Like that's so much hard work already that often I think there's just not that much time to do that unexpected thing. Yeah, I think people really underestimate just the amount of work that goes into it because it's not it's not rocket science. You don't need you know you don't need a advanced computer engineering degree to to be able to do it which i think a lot of the time that's why you know people people who have the skill set to be able to make a game undervalue soft skills quite a bit because they think yeah you can you can do it you know like it doesn't i don't have any like formal training in doing this but that doesn't mean it that doesn't mean it doesn't take time that doesn't mean it doesn't take effort and energy. That doesn't mean that experience is irrelevant. That doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, best practices or best ways to put your energy. And even learning all of this stuff while you're also meant to be doing it at the same time, being in unfamiliar territory is just going to sap so much of your energy 
away from doing all these other things that you are good at as a developer you know like really and again like don't don't shoot for the moon like thomas said if you just really focus on the fundamentals um that's always a good it's always a good place to start um and you know believe people who have been through it recently uh try try to get out of the mindset of like oh everyone else everyone else fell into this same trap but i've i'll be fine I've got a, you know, I've got yeah. a better idea. Um, yeah, so maybe that's maybe that's the unexpected thing. Act to launch as well. See, again, this is this is something the unexpected thing to to do to promote your game at launch. It's like you're too late. Yeah, you're you're already too late because if you, yeah, sorry, Thomas. If you've done everything else, maybe an unexpected thing at launch is to legit DM some people and ask for day one reviews, people that you know, because <laughs> that can help. Yeah. <laughs> and it might, it might seem weirdly like personal and not high priority, but if you can message 10 friends to buy your game and leave a review, like 10 Steam reviews are great to have as stuff. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's the thing. It's like when it's like uh, going to see your friend's band. Your friend's band are playing their first gig and you go, I'm going to go and see my friend's band and I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay entry on the door and I'm going to pay for an overpriced pint in a plastic cup, but I'm here to support my friend. Like, you know, that's, and it, again, it goes back to like selling yourself and just having a network you go to and just, you know, going to people, going to people that aren't going to think you're an asshole for doing it, but just being like, look, couldn't you please just, can you please just try the game for a couple of hours and just hit the review thing and say, oh yeah, it's really good. You should buy it. It's not a huge amount to ask, like, you know, a couple of hours and, you know, however much your game costs, like 15 pounds or whatever, maybe 12 with a launch discount. Um, and it's, it's the kind of thing that obviously depending on, um, depending on wish list numbers and that can actually make a really big difference on day one. Yeah. And then the follow-up is an obvious biggest bang for your buck thing you do at launch. And again, at launch is probably late, but I think the good value for money thing that is, I think, often underestimated is just like having a really good key art, a really good capsule image for your game. Because there's just like so many stores where you only see that in preview images on the eShop on Switch. There's so many listings and different views where you just see the little key art. So I feel like focusing on a really fancy trailer and make sure all your screenshots look amazing, but then your key art isn't that good. Like the people don't even get to the trailer and the screenshots if they don't click on the key art. So that would be my thing where I would probably put more money in. Yeah, I mean, it's, I doing. it just has to look professional, doesn't it? It needs it needs to look like you know what you're doing because it's it's part of it's part of building trust. Um, and as well as we talked about before, like once they do click through and you have that well-made trailer that is the first thing they see when you scroll down the page, as, as we talked about, you know, building your Steam page, you have you have a good description, you have some GIFs that they can look at as they skim through the about text and don't really read it. Um, you know, maybe you have maybe you have a couple of awards to list. Maybe you have a couple of quotes from like press and influencers from because you've been you know doing this as a long term campaign and you've built up these things over time. 
Um, you know, all these all these little elements like come together just to make someone think, okay, this is this is a safe bet. I am smart for looking at this page, <laughs> and it's like it's all about rewarding the trust and exceeding expectations. Um, and I think biggest bang for your buck, as we mentioned earlier, is potentially uh, just Chinese localization as well. Um, yeah, good point. As far as like a solid return on investment thing, would would we say like doing the prologue thing? Is that still a thing that we're doing? I think it's a thing that can work, but doesn't have to work, and it also debatable how valuable those wish lists are. I think it's not a safe bet. I think it really depends on your game, but uh, for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it seems to be falling out of style a little bit, and I, I, I've got to think like it's only a matter of time before the right person complains to Valve about it and they do something. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, th- so I think the... after because there was the game last week that made it to like number six on new and trending as a free prologue, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's when that's when people with a bit of pull you know get annoyed about it um so yeah maybe maybe it'll maybe it'll be a thing that steam doesn't like soon and you know it kind of came through with the steam events and stuff was so focused around official store page demos you know maybe that's maybe that's steam's response to this thing of just like really pushing those like store page demos rather than prologues yeah so it's definitely a thing for me that's like maybe it's good but not necessarily. Um, should we go to a question that is easier to answer? <laughs> yes. From a dev perspective, how do you approach you? I think referring to us, what info is most useful to you to help a dev? So how could people get in touch with a PI agency? It's a solid question. I mean, I think uh, it's it's easier to say what not to do because the <laughs> the people that come the people that come to us for the most part they know they know kind of what they need they know kind of what they want and they know that we're the people that can help them with that um, and that makes it that makes it a lot easier the type the type of pitch the type of pitch that is not helpful is when someone emails us with one sentence saying, hey, we've got a game and we're interested in PR. Can you tell us how much it costs? And like, we get that a lot. Like, not to, to bash anyone, but like, that's that's quite a common email we get. And the thing is, it's like, it's just an immediate red flag. Like, if you don't even have a link to anything, you know, if you don't like attach your publish a pitch deck if you have one if there's no link to an official website or even you know even a twitter page or anything at all it's like well i think i think something that people don't realize is like we companies like ours say no a lot more than we say yes because we have to because what we do it doesn't scale particularly well you know, we we have a limited amount of time, we have a limited amount of resources, and we want to do the best job we possibly can on every project. Which means we can't we can't just say yes to everything. Um, you know, even sometimes if we want to work on something. So if you just come in with like no no information, nothing, it's like why 
why would we want to work with you? Yeah, like you're not you're not giving it you're not giving us anything to go on at all, and it's like immediately it's it becomes effort, like even to just be like, what's the game? <laughs> like in every in every business, like if you want to establish a good business relationship, you do make a first impression, and just having putting the amount of thought in that you think, okay, so somebody looked up at least companies that could fit the bill. And then specify, do they have a premium game or a free-to-play game? Do they kind of know the platforms? Is it coming out in a week or 10 years? Just like at, at least a few rough pointers and saying what you're after, I think is very helpful. Yeah, th- And even if, you, even if you don't know what you're after, at least saying that you don't know what you're after is already a good first step. But just asking for prices and not saying what you actually want or what your game is, it's just like, that's very broad. Yeah, yeah, and the thing—I mean, for us, like, I can't speak for other companies, but we're all—we're like always up to just have a chat. You know, we'll just—we'll just get on a call and we'll talk you through the things that we do and and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't give us anything to go on, then you know that's a lot of that time's going to be wasted. Yeah, so I think things things to tell us, like first, like just a rough timeline what the game actually is, because there's some things we look at and we go, "Oh, this game looks really cool." but there's nothing that we can help with. Like there's no, like we can't add enough value for to justify charging money for what we would do. And, you know, sometimes, or I'd say quite often, that's the reason why we say no to stuff these days. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll always be upfront about, about why that is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go, I'm just... Looking through further questions, there's a an area on our sheet that says no, 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 and has the questions in red that we don't didn't want to put into the show. We should definitely answer them. But what is what is the question? I did actually then write into the list. <laughs> so we did get the question. We thought it's not a good idea. Okay, I'm just gonna do it. What's your view on TikTok? Using TikTok as a game dev tool, is it useful? Has anyone been truly successful? The answer is yes. It, the answer is yes. As much yes. as it as much as it pains me to admit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's specifically one game that I think is doing really well on TikTok. It's called Shotgun Farmers. And I think they are the first studio I've seen really nailing how TikTok works for, for indie games. They've been really successful with that. Like all their they have loads of posts and every post they do they get like five hundred thousand, two million views. So like very big and obviously there's tiktok doesn't let you filter or like follow people that well so i assume a lot of those likes and comments you get are from people that maybe don't actually play games or don't want to buy this but of course if you go into millions there's a percentage of people that are going to buy your game really helped them they were like number one in the xbox charts for digital games i think quite a while after the pc launch um and i just really recommend like if you think about doing tiktok checking out their feed i think it's a really good idea um what's interesting about them also they have a quite similar style of posts they have so they have found their format and they really stick with that and it works and i think one big thing why it works for them is it's a developer of the game who seems to be mowing doing most of the work he's actually doing the tiktoks so like he's filming with his phone off screen and shows what things he's implementing in the game and it's just very personal and you actually see how things are made and i think that's quite good angle for tiktok yeah, it's. I think, 
I think the the thing that makes TikTok difficult is just the fact that it's such a new platform. Like so many people making indie games are in are like past the point of being the sort of platform native, you know? Yeah. We're mostly and honestly, like I think a big part of the reason why like Twitter became the hub was because it's just the platform that a lot of indie devs kind of it was just the right time, you know, as well as like things being, you know, as well as it being easier to break out of your bubble and all that kind of stuff. But really like it was just there at the right time. And now TikTok is there, but like, I don't know. I don't know what, <laughs> like, I don't know what yeah. I would do on TikTok. Like just as an individual, like I, I ain't going to post a video of myself dancing or anything. Like, I don't know. I don't know what happens would, there. And the pro and it's the same, it's the same as we, as the advice that we give on Twitter. It's like, you need to, you need to understand the you need to understand the users you need to understand why people share things yeah so like i use tiktok a lot privately and also post my own tiktoks and i think that's the biggest takeaway it's just like if you want to be on tiktok i think you just need to use it like i can't even easily explain to you why certain things happen or what the in jokes are but if you just watch enough tiktok you get it but i think that's that's it like if we talk obviously to different teams and they sometimes pitch TikTok ideas and often they just say like, oh, do we need to do a dance? And I'm like, I mean, you can, but also that's a really small part of TikTok and not the best suited for games. If you would do something that's like, there's a lot of art TikTok that shows how things are made step by step. Like that's the things that work with game dev, but you wouldn't know that until you use TikTok. A lot of it is driven by what songs are cool at the moment. Again, unless you use TikTok very regularly, you wouldn't know what songs are good at the moment. So I think you need to be in it. So it's it's a high entry barrier, probably. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's just generally great advice for all social platforms, really. It's like you need to be in it. I, I think it's you know one of the reasons why community management is such an undervalued um, field at, at the moment. It's why you get these like you get these job adverts where you expect <laughs> they, they talk about like meme ninjas and stuff it's like no you need <laughs> you need someone who's like <laughs> but that's that's kind of what people mean isn't it like when they say this stuff it's like they they think what it means is you know you just like make a macro image and post that and because it's funny you know they, they think you need to be like you just need to be like a funny and creative person which you do to be to really be successful on these platforms but it's also about being immersed in the platform as well and um, i think so yeah and uh, i mean two maybe two other things to mention that i think tiktoks themselves they take me quite long to make i think they do they're really short most of them are like 15 seconds 30 seconds which doesn't mean they're easy to make it just means like you need to really get it right in that short amount of time so that doesn't necessarily make that easier than doing something good for twitter or for other any social media platform um, what I do really like about it, if you post something, um, TikTok will just show it to a lot of, or like a certain amount of random people. And if they like your post or they comment on it or they share it, it's all metrics they track, then they show you to more people. So with every post you put out, you do have the chance to go trending. So it's definitely a platform where I would think you could go in with a vanilla account and just start posting. And like, if you're just lucky, you could just go trending straight away or it might take you ages. Um, and once you go trending or you build a bigger audience, your account counts your followers, but also your likes in total. You got on all your posts. 
So it definitely gives you a chance to go viral with every post, but it also really rewards building content over time. So for that, my to-go would probably be at the moment to post regularly, not overthink it and just see what sticks kind of. Yeah, that's that's another good tip for social in general as well. Like, don't overthink it. Like, it's so it's so ephemeral, you know. Like, don't put out anything offensive, obviously, but at the, at the same time, like, don't think too much about um, about what you're putting out because it's just about it's just about building it and um, yeah, yeah just had, being being immersed one, in it. I had one TikTok privately do well, and that was done quite quickly. And I did a few others that I spent a very long time with that didn't do anything. So you really can't you can't know what goes well. Really, uh, did you did you have one that did well, Thomas? You didn't. You, yeah, didn't, you never well, never mentioned it. Never yeah. never never talked about it. You, you never never said anything. Right now, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to do well. <laughs> Um, yes, I answered the question. I did want to just write the list on myself and then found on the list. Is there any other question we should go through? I think it's been interesting doing this because, as I said at the start, we were really happy with like the range of questions and everything. But I, I just, again, I've mentioned this in other podcast episodes. It's, it's interesting to me how the same kind of themes of what we talk about tend to be quite similar because every activity we have, the goal is basically the same. So it's kind of, if you think about all of these different disciplines that we touch, things used to be very separated. You used to have like marketing was over here and and like social was like a growing thing over here. And then you had community, which was basically just like, you know, ban hammers on, on the forums. And, and all of these things have kind of morphed and merged and come together and over time. Um, I mean, even, even the thought of like, I've said this before as well, the thought of like, um, content creators, some people still think of this as like a kind of new thing, which is like, it's so established. It is like, it is now (laughs) in, in the same way that like, in the same way that websites very quickly became more important than print media, even though there was a time where people didn't take websites seriously because they weren't these proper things. Now we're in, we're still in this stage where like people don't think of content creators as being like a proper thing, like a proper professional channel. It's like, that is the, that is the channel. Social media is the channel. All of these things, all of these things touch each other constantly. And it can seem totally overwhelming. Just like looking at this huge, this huge space of just everything together. But if you just, if you just take a step back and think like, what is the actual goal? All of these levers that we're pulling, like what are, what are we actually trying to achieve? And to me, like the obvious answer is you want to, you want to sell as many copies of your game as possible, but I would actually go one step further and say like, how can you, how can you build a sustainable career out of indie dev? Like that to me is like the real goal because that's something that is becoming more and more difficult over time. And I think that if you really want, if you really want to like maximize your career as an indie developer, like I think that's, that's what you should be thinking of. And that's why, 
that's why like community building is not just the the best thing you could do for an individual game it's the best thing that you can do for your career it's like it's why why being visible on social channels is so important because then that carries over like you can you can bring that forward it's not just okay game's out draw a line under that next thing it's like how can we build momentum over time how can we how can we leverage what we've already done constantly it's like you you just constantly building the foundation building the foundation building the foundation and then hopefully if you if you make smart decisions along the way if you if you don't overextend if you don't put all your eggs in one basket and end up disappointed sooner or later you'll look down and you'll realize that your foundation has become the tower that you were hoping <laughs> that you were hoping to achieve in the first place and and yeah i think after doing all these podcasts and talking to all these people and and doing this job for far too long that's i think that's the main kind of message that i want that i would want indie developers to take away from everything i've done i think i think you answered a way better question than the one asked but this is this is a very good point to make. <laughs> we should have written that in. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems absurd, doesn't it? Because each game you release, it's like it's years. It's years of hard work. It's years of really intense, like and it's it's hard. Like every game that comes out is a miracle. Like the amount of things that like always go wrong all of the ridiculous hoops that you have to jump through like even to get something out there and then we're here like telling you to do you know all of this extra work on top of that or to take the risk of paying someone to do all this extra work on top of that it can it just seems like it just seems like uh an impossible task but really so much of it is just like putting one foot in front of the other and you know not looking back too often, so you're always pleasantly surprised when you do. But if you, yeah, if you make a game, well done. If I do a game jam, I'm exhausted after three days. So everybody <laughs> for a few years, I'm like, wow, <laughs> good on you. Yeah, so um, I suppose that's my that's my big point to end on. That is a good point. Um, to end on, if anyone has more questions, can they email us questions? Yes. I think that would be nice. Yeah, we could do a new episode that we just email you back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like we always say, like, I mean, if you if you just like send us, if you just want to have a chat and, you know, send us an email, um, we're not going to, you know, we're not, we're not going to send you an invoice for replying to an email. You know, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to have like, if you want to have like a serious chat about something or maybe, you know, with the thought of consulting or whatever in mind, like we'll, you know, we'll have a chat with you. We're always happy to speak to people and we, you know, we want, we want to help people. So, um, yeah. I think that would be good. Otherwise we collected for the next episode of questions and answers. Yeah. We've got big plans. Uh -oh. got big plans for, <laughs> We make all TikTok famous. That's the plan. Oh god, the horror! The absolute horror. <laughs> no, no more indie games VR. <laughs> no more indie games VR. Only TikTok. Is that our ending? Do we have an official ending? <laughs>
We will never have an official ending. No, too easy. this is not while I draw breath. <laughs> Man, I feel like I was super spicy in this one, but you know. I think it's good. I think, like, if someone if someone makes it this far in the podcast, I hope that nothing I've said in this is like much of a revelation by this point. <laughs> and as usual, we're truly sorry. 